in the... You went somewhere to... I know you went shed hunting. You went and looked for sheds. Did you Did you get to go hunting last weekend? Oh, you were no, going to go bear hunting, weren't you? <clears throat> Uh, oh, you've been sick. You've been, you've been sick. Yeah. You've almost died. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've been dying. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I had strep throat, but apparently I didn't, according to the the strep throat test. Well, so you could have got a false negative, I guess, right? That, yeah. Well, then they sent. So that has happened before. So I stayed home from work yesterday too, until the lab results came back, and it was still negative. So I guess hmm. I'm just a little bitch. well i hope you get to feeling better because you want you're trying to go bear hunting pretty soon weren't you yeah i'm gonna go this weekend oh well there you go yeah just just don't be a bitch this weekend then yeah hopefully not (laughs) uh yeah i got i was telling rob before we started recording before you hopped in here that this has been like the most difficult turkey season i've ever had like ever i you seem to be on the struggle bus there. Man, it's been it's been rough, but I was I've read something today. I, I could have sworn it was posted by Meat Eater, but I can't find it now. That it was basically an article that said like turkey numbers across the country are down and like everyone is just like not hearing or seeing turkeys. Uh no, that every, was you know that was Meat Eater, I'm pretty sure. Was it okay? I saw the, yeah, I I saw the headline, I just didn't read it. Yeah, I, I could have sworn I could have sworn it was then, turkeys. Then I <laughs> Uh, i went to look for it and i couldn't find it uh but it makes me feel a little bit better that i don't feel like a complete bimbo but man i'm getting i'm getting frustrated because uh you know like i told rob i they'll they'll gobble while they're on the roost and then at like eight o'clock they just shut up and they won't they won't do anything uh they won't gobble they won't like i've I've seen a couple hens. I can barely even get them to like react to me. They just pretend like I'm not even there. So I well, don't know. That's a, it's been a rough lot season. like what I dealt with last year. That's last year. I spent three weeks focusing on a, a, a small, small group of turkeys that I knew was in a, in one area. There was uh, three toms, a couple of jakes and a whole bunch of hens that always yep. were kind of in this section and every day pre-dawn pre-light mm-hmm. you could you know throw out a couple of calls and get good response no you know roundabout where they are at where, where they might be coming from and as soon as they left the roost the, the roost they're just gone just nothing and I mean, I had multiple, well, the last two weeks, I had multiple occasions where I had two to three hens in front of me for hours and not a Jake or a Tom in sight. Hmm. And I was just kind of looking around going, okay, is no one paying attention to these women? Like normally yeah. there's at least a yeah. Jake, you know, somewhere close by kind of tending to yeah. them if, if no one else is. Yeah. And yeah, it was there's just a Tom like, out there. You can almost guarantee there's a Jake <laughs> somewhere close by. Right? Well, apparently not not last year. Hmm. I don't know. That's I could have shot any hen that I wanted to, but yeah, not nothing uh nothing walked out. But this year hmm. I've been too busy. I have uh I'm now in my second tag 
uh, as of today, actually. And I have not stepped into uh, the woods with my bow at this point. It's really sad and kind of depressing. Yeah, you should try and do that soon. Yeah, well, I, I was I was going to tonight, but then we, we were doing this. So. Oh, yeah, blame it on us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I am. I've got a couple of customers showing up to to fine-tune and pick up their bows uh, tomorrow and Friday. Um, but I am for sure planning to be out uh, Saturday and then probably Sunday morning. So we'll see if we yeah. can uh, get some action. Well, never... Uh... Never let us stop you, man. If, if you guys are trying to record and no, I'm, I'm going hunting, then I'm I'm going hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. I, I picked up a new target today, so I was wanting to get that set oh, up yeah. anyway and uh, wanted to. I, I've been busy with customers and working on bows and stuff, and so I, I wanted to spend a couple hours playing outside with my daughter since it wasn't actually raining today it's been raining nonstop. yeah so took advantage of that and went yep all right well i'm gonna get the target set up play with my daughter for a while and uh then sit down with a drink and chat with you boys yeah there you go you it's shoot that target very much um i sent i don't know 10 arrows into it and then uh my my three-year-old was sending arrows out of her little tiny longbow into it so is it we're good is it easy to pull arrows out of it yeah yeah um i guess my my initial test before i put it in place on against the wall um was my 80 pound 30 inch rx3 with my 950 grain rampages um from like three yards and it's a I have to double check. I want to say it, it's 16 or 18 inches deep. Um, the target is, and I yeah. had probably four inches of clearance from the tip to the back of the target. Hmm. So okay. definitely stopping them. Not bad. No, I mean, it, it's literally cardboard sheets just compressed, but that's yeah. uh, guy, local guy posted it for sale. Cause he was moving and, uh, he asked if I'd pay a hundred dollars for it. I'm like, well, I've been looking at building a frame like that anyway. And three quarter inch threaded rod. That's seven foot long, four pieces of them, seven foot long. And you know, the large weight bearing casters. And I'm like, yeah, I'm perfectly fine spending a hundred dollars just yeah, to, basically you know, means to have he the frame it and got the cardboard for you after free <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i was fine with that at some point down the road i'll probably pick up a bunch of foam and and rebuild it but for the time being uh i've got a five by five and a half target that uh now i've got a couple of my small 3d stuff set up in front of it and it'll yeah. be perfect for for teaching my daughter and for uh just doing some i got in the it's in the garage so i've only got 10 yards with it but works yeah. great for uh like blank bailing and you know form work yeah well it's tall too which is nice uh oh yeah you know especially if you're if you're shooting close that's that's part of the problem that i've always had with uh uh 
shoot, trying to shoot like in my basement or something like that is, uh, you know, it's hard to get the target up high enough to where, uh, if yeah, I'm trying I mean, to, for if I'm trying to watch tuning. the knock, yeah. For bear shaft tuning, like you want it as, as flat as you can get it. And, uh, yep. it's, uh, it's always been difficult, but yeah, seeing that makes me really want to try it or try and yeah, try and build I one, mean, uh, like, that. uh, I guess I'll see how it works long term. I mean, I, I know that, uh, cardboard is gonna have you know a slightly higher abrasion rate than you know the foams and stuff but uh, right not i know a bunch of guys that have used stuff like this so i'm not expecting any issues maybe long term but yeah we'll see it'll uh definitely Definitely, serve uh, the purpose and that's yeah i mean I've, i've got i've got a couple of different big boy targets that i'm picking up when i go to the total archery challenge in june um over in michigan so mm-hmm. if uh it is an issue then those will guess you'll fall back on it. those <laughs> yeah well that was the initial plan and then i saw this i'm like well that means that i could use my big boys for long range and build a little hut and set it up at 100 yards and call it good yeah there you go um well tonight we are going to do i guess it would technically be a part two of the uh back to the basics uh myself rob and garrett are gonna take a little time to talk about uh the process or our processes our processes our individual processes of picking broadheads and arrows and the 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 thought process that goes into that and then part two of this part two is going to be talking about building those arrows and just kind of best practices to build better arrows and and not necessarily just with components that we're recommending. This build process will be helpful regardless of what you're using. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't really matter if it's uh, heavy arrows, light arrows, high FOC, low FOC. It's all the same. Uh, you know, it's, you can build something quality, uh, then it's going to, it's going to help your arrow flight, which is important. And, uh, you should, you should do that. So, well, um, your arrow flight and your, inte- your shaft integrity. Yeah. Sure oh, yeah stays absolutely. I, yep. Yep. And that's, uh, that's important. You don't want to, you don't want glue to be the reason that you lost something because you didn't prep the inside of your shaft, right. Or something stupid like that. That was completely and totally preventable. Um, so Anyway, I guess we'll just dive straight into it. Um, man, I really wish I could find I could find that flow chart. I might I might still have it. I don't know. I made a flow chart. I don't know. I think Rob saw it. I yeah, yeah. It or not. I, I know that I've I seen mean, it. I yeah. it. Did you see it? I made a I made oh. that flow chart for my for picking an arrow or for picking broadheads and arrows. Uh, I guess that's I guess we could probably it off uh with that um when i am going to build an arrow when i say arrow i mean the entire arrow system i guess i should say that yeah uh, when i'm going to build an arrow the very first thing i do is not pick the arrow i pick the broadhead that i want to use uh is there is there any uh disagreement or uh agreement amongst the amongst the crowd on that on picking the broadhead first and then building everything else around it yeah that's 
the broadhead is really the kind of linchpin of the entire system. Right. Yep. It's the first thing that's going to hit the target. It's, you know, going to determine the leverages and the forces applied to the components in the shaft. Um, and so it, it just kind of makes sense to pick that first because depending on what level of structural integrity you're looking for, what different criteria you're looking for in your broadhead, you mm-hmm. might end up, you know, in a hundred grain or you might end up in a 300 grain. Yep. And that decision right there will drastically affect the other pieces of the puzzle. Yep. Absolutely. Right. And so lining up that, you know, going through, okay, do I, you know, I guess how many cutting edges do I want? Do I care if there's venting? Do I care if it's replaceable blades or if it's a, uh, a two piece system with a ferrule and then a solid blade and held in with screws? Or do I want it to be a single piece machined or a single piece forged type head? You right. know, those options, those different factors are going to narrow down what your head options look like. And, you know, with like the venting or non-vented is going to narrow down some of the weight possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, it's not necessarily required to have the exact head picked out but if you know say that you want uh you know a non-vented two blade that's either a two-piece or 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 single piece construction and you're looking in say the the 200 you know 175 to 225 range you know because there's a lot of options there for that fit right Okay, if that's as as far as you can get in the selection process, great. Now now you know roundabout what you're looking for there, and you have a fairly small range of weight that you're looking at. Yeah. Right? And and that's really... Go ahead. I I was going to say, I I guess, too, uh, that even the, the question that you need to ask or maybe I mean, it might be multiple questions, I suppose, that you need to ask before you pick your head is what are you hunting or what do you plan to hunt? Because Or even just you can, what you, weight are you comfortable with? Right, right. And uh, so, I mean, you know, for maybe, well, I know, I know I am weird, but maybe I'm extremely weird in this aspect that uh, when, so like this next arrow build that I'm going to do, which I'm not going to completely let, out of the bag yet even though people probably already know uh i am i am building an arrow that i want to be able to use to hunt everything and that's you know most people will say yeah exactly and uh and most people might say you know or might do uh, oh i've got this setup for turkeys i've got this setup for whitetail i've got this setup for elk I, i don't like I don't have enough time. That, that to sounds switch. expensive and very yes. time consuming for setup in between seasons. 
Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and I know, and I go, Garrett, you're the same way. You shoot, you basically shoot one arrow at, at all the critters that you hunt, and they're anywhere from a hundred and pounds. Well, probably, I mean, a, I guess a, a smaller blacktail or antelope could be about a hundred pounds, all the way up to six, seven, eight hundred pounds for a a big elk. Uh, and you're yeah. you're shooting the same arrow at all of them, right? Yeah, mostly because I'm lazy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, if you can be lazy and build a, <laughs> an arrow over 550 grains, then I encourage you to be that kind of lazy. Everybody do, do that. I, I was well, going to say that I usually choose my shaft first, but then I got to thinking about it. And like sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So it's hard to say. Well, like, and yeah. for us, there can be some other factors at play, right? Because we might be walking into a build going i wanted i want to play with this shaft right mm -hmm. for the you know for the intended purpose of using that shaft mm -hmm. that alters things a little bit right that's not yep you know the general you know a uh, uh, a normal hunter going okay i need a new set of arrows right 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 so, I mean, our yeah. processes can sometimes be a little skewed because of different factors, like what Matt, you and I were discussing before, where, you know, I have a new system that I want to play with and test out this summer on a couple of hunts that I'm doing. Yeah. And now I, I need to build around that to accommodate what I'm wanting to get. Sure. You know? Yeah. But and that's say, so for my like I've been talking to you guys about building that like building on an injection. Mm -hmm. So for that, mm -hmm. I have to build around the fact that it's only a 280 spine. And I have. Yep. A, yeah. A and you're building around wall. the fact that it's a 280 spine and you're building around the fact of whatever that that GPI is. Yeah. I'm, and I like, you know, I'm trying to stay under a specific weight i guess like i want to be i know that with my right. light gpi shafts and my 200 like my valkyrie setup i know that i'm around anywhere between like 550 and 580 depending on how i configure it so like i right. know that with that injection build i want to build a, like i want it to be around the same so i'll still be running a micro diameter but i'm going to try to make it as close to the same weight as possible so i don't have to mess with anything as far as like yeah. tuning wise, so I can just have four, like, I think I'll have, I know I'll have at least three different head configurations in my quiver for one bow. And then the other bow, yeah. I'm not quite sure yet. Cause I'll have, like, I've got some of those Ozcut hurricanes coming, which for that I'll have a different shaft and like a little bit lighter build. Cause that destroyer that I'm going to shoot it out of isn't as good numbers wise. Right. But, as far as like efficiency or whatever, it doesn't. Yeah. And I, you know, I have that trajectory that I'm comfortable with. Yep. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I don't like to shoot under thing. 265. So I have to build around that too. And like, yep. Yeah. Well, and that it's a good point to make because I mean, while when you know what you're looking for, step one would be pick your broadhead. Yeah. If we're looking at this from the outside in, like a lot of the guys that I deal with, they are are looking at building their first heavier build or their first higher front of center build. Right. And so to take one little step back, 
the first thing that that really needs to happen is you need to know what kind of numbers you're looking for um for like total weight and there's a couple of ways i guess a couple of approaches um the majority of people want to see it they they want to get a feel for it and so something like a test pack and you know a, a bunch of companies are now starting to to do something along these lines where you can buy a single arrow or you can buy mm-hmm. a, a couple of different matched arrows um but getting something where you can go okay both of these should fly fine i've got a handful of different field point weights and so now i'm going to shoot you know a 500 grain arrow a 550 grain arrow a 600 a 650 whatever it is and see what you're comfortable with and which one you like the best and then you can make that that total weight decision off of off of that experience the flip side is there's quite a few people that i've dealt with that are going all right my buddy has been doing this he's broken the leg of this and that and he's you know just consistently regardless of what he encountered got out the other side this is what i want and their first build they're going from 400 grains to like 700 you know which is not common yeah but there are people that are going these this is the number that i want and i'm gonna adjust myself to be comfortable with it. I'm going to, I'm going to get comfortable by practicing and practicing and practicing. So once you, you know, regardless of your approach, once you know what that total weight is, now you can start subtracting off of it. And that's where I would, I would step in with the broadhead. Right. Sure. So So I would, I would encourage people, uh, before and I know not everyone can do this, but I would really encourage people uh, before they jump they, before they make any kind of jump, really, to go to a pro shop and a, a decent pro shop should have some arrows laying around that they can at least kind of mix and match field points and stuff like that to be able to get you in that 500 to 550 grain range. Most, most pro shops I've seen where I've walked into the, like the range side of it have had full metal jackets sitting there and it's a full length, full metal jacket. And I guarantee they've got a heavier head laying around there somewhere where they can bump that arrow weight up to, you know, 550 ish grains and, uh, and maybe even heavier, maybe someplace to have some, I don't like, you know, you walk in a rob shop, you could, you go, you go shoot arrows over a thousand grains. If you really uh, want to. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, <clears throat> so, uh, I, I wouldn't, I would really encourage people to try it, like at least see what that trajectory looks like first, uh, before they start making decisions on stuff. Yeah. Because one thing I don't want people to do is to say like, like, hell yeah, like 650, I'm all in and they get it. And they're like, I can't do this trajectory for whatever reason. And it's and, a big, it's and, a, men, it's a mental jump, you know? Sure. Oh, if, it's, if it's, you yeah, aren't yeah. shooting higher poundage, if you don't have a longer draw length, there's going to be a certain level of, of, of a mental jump that you need to make a commitment. If you're going to go truly heavy, um, yeah. 
one thing I would add is while pretty much any shop that has that, that sells bows should have random, you know, lane arrows for yeah. people to, to test shoot those bows, right? Yeah. Um, what a lot of shops won't have will be field points over 125. Yes, very true. So, so or, that's order one some thing field points very easy to do. You order a couple of field points, you know, order a test pack. There's ethics has a test pack. Grizzly stick has a test pack. I have my own that I put together. Um, but then you can have, you know, 125, 150, 175, 200, 225, so on. And the big thing is just getting a feel for the trajectory itself. It's not, sure. you know, it might not be the correct spine. It might not be perfectly tuned out of your bow. But right. if you put that in your bow and you take a shot from 10 yards and you take a shot from 15 and then you take a shot from 20 or 25, 30, and you see how your impact is changing, what that trajectory looks like that is what you're looking for. And yep. then it's a, a judgment call on whether or not you're comfortable at whatever that weight is. Yep. Garrett, uh, I, I'm curious just, just because I, I haven't, uh, <laughs> and this isn't to like, it, it's certainly nothing to like brag about, but I haven't, uh, uh, I haven't found an arrow like weight or trajectory yet that I've been like, eh, I can't do that. Well, I take that back. My 40, when I had my 40 pound recurve and I was shooting like 665 grain arrows, I was like, this trajectory kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, um, but I'm curious <laughs> in, uh, in, in your experience, especially moving out West, did you, were you experimenting with heavier stuff? And then you just like found you're like, this is where I need to be. And, and if, if that's the case, like what was, What's the story that went along with that? Um, haven't, I mean, I haven't gone super heavy, I guess. Like I've gone, I think the heaviest I've shot was probably like a 600 grain arrow at some point, but like sure. the, it was when I had that 80 pound, I had an 80 pound elite hunter, which is not a fast bow. Mm -hmm. I was shooting, 80 pounds. Yeah. You, I was shooting, you can take I think a it was shooting expedite and shoot faster than that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was smooth, so it was fine. But yeah, like, no, they're they're very nice bows. Uh, it was shooting two sixty five at like five seventy or something like that, and like any head like any heavier than that, it really dipped off. Like I don't know for whatever reason, I I'm just comfortable at two sixty five and lower than that. Like it was more that like I don't like dicking around with my sight tapes all that much, and right. like you know, finding that like, I like to be 265 or above because then I don't have to mess with it as much. Like I know I can get more range and everything out of it, but it just takes a lot more time and I'm, I just don't want to deal with it. And I've not had an issue breaking through bone, I guess. Like when I shot the, I shot that deer two years ago that moved, it moved on me, but I hit it through like it just ducked its head but i hit it yeah. through the jaw through the neck and out the spine so but you know i had 
18 inches of arrow sticking out the opposite side. And that was at 65 yards with that 570 grain arrow or whatever. So right. like that much bone, if I hit an elk shoulder blade or whatever, like I'm not real concerned if it's, if I'm, you know, same arrow weight and it's going faster then cool. I'm, I'm probably all right, mm-hmm. but you know, probably, but at the same time, like I do find myself shooting a little bit farther and I don't like, sometimes I don't have time to do a double range. Like last year right. I missed a bull because I ranged it and then went to go over a log and kicked the stick and bull jumped up and I didn't have time to range it again before I shot and it had moved, but my first range was wrong in the first place. But even if I had ranged it at the right range to begin with, like my guess was not going to be like, I wasn't going to hit it. It would have been too far still. But so Mm. I'd like, I like extra sailed it over this thing's back because I shot for, 75 i think and it was at 55 ish but i thought that it went from 55 to 65 and that like once i got out that far like that's enough for me to if i because i was you know aiming lower third right um still quartering away but aiming lower third and that's enough drop that i still probably would have shot under yeah that's uh i i, I think that's a good story and that's a good uh well i mean you not you missing the elk isn't a good story uh but well, i had four uh, of those stories <laughs> last year it's fine i just let it go yeah. uh but i think just just under uh, it's a good story uh in in the aspect of like you you found like you found your max and then you dialed it back which is basically yeah. like what what we have been preaching since day one like just yeah. shoot and you know at the same hand. like at the same time it did teach me to like not necessarily like i don't shoot a single pin i shoot a multi-pin slider but at the same time it like it did teach me that i need to learn how to guess with that slider a little bit better as far as like where i have that last pin set like let's say i am shooting for you know 65 or whatever but i have it dialed at 60 but i'm shooting like i don't have time to change my dial right i need to know what Right, I need to know where my holds are a little bit better. And that, understanding you know, just that a, actual trajectory path and right where your holdovers that, are. You know, that was on me still. Like it's I missed, so it's on me anyways. But like it definitely taught me that I should have paid more attention to that. Like I knew where it was roughly gonna hit, but my range was off anyway, so it did not go where I thought it was going to. Yeah, and that's for me. Actually, Matt, when we went and hunt, hunted Texas, mm-hmm. that was with the setup that essentially gave me my my bottom bottom speed, uh, right for compounds. Um, sure, because at least for me, speeds using a sight are very different than speeds not using a sight. Like, oh, I have no issues in the 130s, 140s with a trad bow. It, it's, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable up in the 150, 160s, but it's very doable with it with a traditional bow of no sights. When I got yeah. 
it was kind of the perfect storm of slow arrow um, because I had a customer <laughs> that blew up their bow like a week before a hunt. I had the exact same bow and I sold the bow that everything was set up for to him so that he could go on his hunt. And this was in like you, September. You're too nice. <laughs> and I, I have a backup bow, but yeah. it also is older, lower poundage, yeah. and you still considerably have that bow? Still slower. Um, I got it loaned out to a buddy right now. Okay. That's, I still do have it. Uh, it's an yeah, old it? uh, bear attitude. Mm. That's I I bought it uh not, like not real clearance speed rack late model <laughs> ready to hunt package for like three hundred dollars <throat> at a box store. Yep. And uh it's a wonderful backup bow because mm-hmm. I, it I can set up anything on it and it's just there. Um but uh yeah, so I had that and I had a uh Oh, I forget. It was somewhere nine, nine or nine fifty grain arrow that I'd been playing with, and I was very comfortable with my my previous bow in like the two twenty or two twenty five foot per second range. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that backup bow, I was at like one ninety five, and. That was slow <laughs> with a sight. Like my my comf like my, my honestly my my goal yeah. speed ten like, yard pin twenty Garrett, yard pin and that's it. <laughs> like Garrett, you're saying like two sixty five two seventy is kind of your your you know your goal, right? Yeah. And for me, somewhere in the two thirty two thirty five range is typically what i i aim for um if i'm going heavy that that's where i want to kind of bottom out um i think if i i think if i knew that like my shots were gonna be 20 30 maybe 40 max and like that's it like if i were still hunting whitetail i'd have no problem shooting that speed oh yeah like yeah where like you know with elk that like they'll come in and leave and come back in leave and like if i am off by you know if if i'm shooting that speed and i'm off by five yards between 35 and 40 like that's a big difference oh yeah well and that's like right now i mean granted uh 80 pound bow 30 inch draw um i still need to verify this because i have i've spent my money on on other things like targets um Mm -hmm. And I haven't bought a new chrono yet, um, but it it should be, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's more Thirsty. money. Oh, I know. Yeah, um, but that based on what my RX one was doing, this should be right around like two thirty to two thirty five, um, and that's I ran that out to eighty yards last weekend at a, at a 3d shoot and yeah. my pin gaps i've got a a fast eddy double uh double pin xl i have it moved in 
uh, to, to minimize my gaps. And if I have my pin, my top pin set at 20, my second pin is 30 and the top of my bubble, which it's, it's all equidistance, which I really like because it gives you three reference points with two pins. Mm-hmm. Um, the top of my bubble is 40. That's good. And I literally have that same gap structure to 60. Hmm. And then 60 so to your 70, gap, your 70 to 80 are like a pin and a half. So your gap doesn't expand anymore from, from very, 20, very little. That's, that's yeah. impressive. My 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60 are all very similar gaps. But hmm. that's like, Matt, you know the test that I did a couple of years ago with different arrow weights and speed loss? Yeah. Do you remember uh, that I one mean, that I did with uh, Isaac uh-huh. and the limb-driven mm-hmm. guys? Yep, yep, yep. Um, that's exactly it. Is <clears throat> yeah. it's a nine hundred and fifty grain speed, arrow. The By the time it the hits for the most sixty yards, yeah, it's probably lost like five or six feet per second. Yeah, it's not it's... decelerating at nearly the same rate. And so, if it's maintaining speed then your gap isn't going to change. Right. Right. And so the efficiency of those heavier arrows. Yeah. It's it's carrying itself down range. Right. And so the, the really nice thing for me with that is I normally set my pin, my top pin around 25 to 27. Um, which normally will give me uh, a pretty even high-low hold from uh, like point blank where you're going to be hitting high um, back to 35 to 40. Um, And if I did that with this setup, then... I would be nearly to 45, maybe 50 yards with the top of my bubble. So at that point, I mean, I don't even have a, a stand that I can shoot 50 yards. <laughs> so right. if, if I'm, you know, ranging once and then self ranging from there, my, my hold over or hold under at max is going to be, two pins and I have those references. So it makes it very easy for me to be comfortable with that. But it's, it's very dependent on the person. You know, that's, I, I forced myself to go slower and slower and slower until I found my breaking point. And then I backed off a little bit and went, all right, cool. This is, this feels fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay. So, what do we do we feel like we need to expand any more on picking arrow well i guess all we really talked about was picking your broadhead or yeah. picking your uh uh your uh shaft based on you wanting to try something in particular uh yeah, so usually, <laughs> but, I guess my i do usually go i mean i'm same as you like i either go i usually go head choice which leads me to component choice based on the shaft that i'm going to build on yep 
because yeah, and, and then like you know all of that is taken into account the total ish weight that i want to be at just because like this year i'm gonna have three different builds i think at least and i want them to be all i mean they're probably not gonna because i'm gonna do a tough head build on three arrows i think just to have right. those just to test out those meatheads in the direct bond type system but that one's probably going to be a little bit heavier overall but like you know 40 yards and in it's probably not 40 50 yards it's probably not going to be much of a difference to worry about um but like that's you know that's how i'm deciding on what to get now so like on that that 280 shaft i have to have less point weight just weight on the front limited by the shaft yep. And yeah, then yeah. with the meat head, I have to have a lighter with have to have a lighter shaft because I'll have a lot more point weight. So stiffest as I can go. Right. But the lightest shaft possible, which, you know, give and take. But and then I'll have just my normal Valkyrie setup that I've been running to also. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's essentially what I do is now that we dug ourselves out of that little rabbit hole. Um, so if, if I know what the desired total weight is, we're going to go through the the options, figure out broadhead choice, right? Kind of narrow that down. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, typically we, we just kind of inherently move into the component and, verify what options we want there and what the the level of of structural integrity that's desired you know potentially based on what kind of game you're chasing um and that'll give you a a ballpark of what total front weight what that slug weight can look like right and then if you take that you subtract that from your desired total weight now you know approximately what the shaft knock and fletchings should weigh if you you know standard type build 18 grains for three blazers eight to ten grains for a knock subtract that off and then if you know that you want say a 29 inch arrow okay so take Mm -hmm. the remaining weight divide it by that length and you'll get a, a grain per inch and so now you can either go, you know, one, is that a grain per inch that I'm happy with? Because, I mean, as we've kind of briefly discussed on some of the other uh, episodes, um, depending on the spine that you're going to need for the point weight, you want to pay attention to that GPI because if it's too light for how stiff it is more than Mm -hmm. likely it's gonna start you know getting brittle and so it's just a a basic evaluation typically and this is just a ballpark kind of high level estimate it it can definitely depend on the actual shaft and materials being used but typically in like a 300 spine i'm looking for something that's in the high eights or heavier and at that point i'm not i'm not really questioning its durability sure um 
And so if, if the GPI that you come up with is something that you go, yep, I'm not concerned with that. Okay. Now start browsing shafts and you know, if you come across one and it's heavier or maybe a little lighter than what is, you know, perfectly needed. Okay. Well now do we have room to add a little more weight up front? Or do we have, you know, can we take a little less up front, either yeah. in, you know, uh, like with an ethics system, trimming a little bit or using a little less brass, you know, whatever the, the option is there for the component or going, you know, down one step in the broadhead if it's still acceptable to you. But if you kind of follow that process, you can very quickly and pretty easily get the numbers that you're needing for the different areas and then fine tune as needed to get your total numbers. And yeah, I guess the one thing that I would point out is once you start getting over like nine, 10 grains per pound of draw weight, the desired total weight does not need to be perfect because being, you know, if you want to be at 550 and the build's going to come out at 560, that is not going to be a drastic difference. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if, if you're building a, a 400 grain arrow, then 10 grains is probably going to make a difference, but a 600 or a 700 grain arrow, 10 grains is nothing yeah yeah you know i so noticed I, that i noticed that quite a bit when i was when i started building heavier arrows and the first couple of shafts i got probably weren't the highest quality well either the shafts or components uh probably was the shafts um you know when i i built a dozen arrows and they'd be the, the total spread uh between the heaviest and lightest would probably be between like five to seven maybe even eight or nine grains. I don't know if I ever hit 10 grains, but shooting those arrows, I couldn't have told you which one was heavier and which one was lighter because the overall weight was so much more in comparison to the grains per pound that I was shooting that it just didn't make that much of a difference. So it's another benefit of shooting something heavier is your uh, weight tolerances become less critical for sure. Um, You touched on something that, that I really liked in uh using a component that is adjustable to some extent uh is is going to be really really important to finely tune your your arrows uh and to what well, one to hit any desired weight that you're trying to or two to uh two two uh to <laughs> hit a uh, um to hit the correct dynamic spine if you need to do some final adjusting so something like ethics where you can cut it uh, or grizzly stick or black eagle or gold tip. I think doesn't gold tip use, I think they call it the fact system. It's where you screw brass onto the back of the inserts. Uh, so using, using stuff black like eagle that has it too, I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's all, all of the, the actually, factory black eagle stuff is, uh, threaded on the backside. And, uh, so then you have, uh, I guess like what I have in stock is, uh, for two, four, five, there's a 30, 50, 75 grain brass 
um, for 204. Um, this is, I guess, from between Grizzly Stick and Black Eagle, but I have 20, 30, 50, 75. So you can definitely hit uh, a lot of different numbers without getting crazy with like all thread or anything like that. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I know some guys that have, have used all thread that wouldn't wouldn't be what I would use, but uh, uh, I think you can just use use brass. But I mean, you can use all thread if you absolutely need to. It certainly uh, it certainly can. Oh, yeah. I, I know um, a lot of guys that will use it to to match sets of arrows where, you know, sure. there's always slight manufacturing variances. So you might have a half grain here and a half grain there, and that adds up to be, you know, two grand grains. All right. Well, yep. if you really want to get picky, then cut off a small piece of all thread, weigh it, sand it, Loctite it in. There you go. It's not going anywhere. It's yep. Loctited in just like the brass is. Yep. I would, uh, uh, to me, I'm trying to think of how, how I want to say this without making it sound like something is not important. Uh, the shaft is probably the last thing that I look at. Uh, I, I personally pick the broadhead. Well, first I'm looking at the game that I'm hunting, but because I'm weird and I want to shoot one arrow at everything in North America, like I'm, I'm just more geared towards a high mechanical advantage head, especially because I'm trying to do hunting with a traditional bow. Now and I always mm-hmm. feel undergunned no matter what. So I'm, I'm always going for something a little, uh, a little, a little bit better for, uh, uh, for mechanical advantage, but pick the head. I pick the component that I want to reinforce the shaft and I look at my weight there and then I determine uh, basically what what shafts I can I can fit into the total amount of weight that I have left. Mm-hmm. And and if I need to if I need to, uh, uh, you know, tweak it uh, by trimming or, or leaving it longer as long as I've got the correct dynamic reaction. Uh, but uh, I would. Um, I would encourage people to, I mean, like, like what you said, make sure you aren't buying something crazy light. Like don't go and buy some crazy light GPI just because you don't have much quote unquote weight left on what you actually, on what you want to build to hit your desired weight. But when you start looking at the majority of decent carbon, uh, and aero manufacturers, uh, it's, it, it gets more difficult to get into arrows that I wouldn't recommend. Uh, like I don't know. I would just I say I, to avoid any of your ultralight shafts. Yes. Yeah, and, and those exactly. are typically exactly. labeled as ultralight or high velocity or extreme velocity or some moniker along those lines. And they will be drastically lower shaft weight than the, the same, you know, model shaft in the normal hunting, uh, category. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, exactly. So if you see, I know, uh, Oh, who make uh, well, black Eagle makes it, it's the carnivore. They have yeah. the, the ultra like ultra like carnivore. So like, the don't do that. <laughs> victory has the, uh, 
like the rip XV, which is the extreme velocity. Um, right. There, there's a lot of different shafts that they have a model like that. And a lot of times it'll still be included in their list of hunting shafts, but it's also included in like their target shaft lineup. And it's primarily a target shaft, you know, right. That's for guys that are, you know, wanting to take advantage of speed regulations and hit a certain weight to be at the top tier of whatever the speed reg is for a target class. Right. So, but I would, uh, and I think we're, we've talked about kind of doing a campaign of sorts later, but, uh, I would encourage people when, when they're doing this to, uh, uh, obviously structural integrity is the most important thing. We've said it a hundred times. We're going to say it a thousand times more, but I would encourage people to start looking at just start with a heavier head. Like don't, don't think, okay, I'm going to build narrow. Here's this hundred grain broadhead I'm going to use. Like start with a 150 grain <clears throat> head, 175, 200 grain head. Like, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on your total arrow weight that you're trying to hit. So like Garrett likes, you know, you like, of slightly you, you, you typically shoot 150s and 175s right i know you shoot 200s too but uh i mean whatever gets me to, to well it depends on the arrow weight i'm going for so with my destroyer sure. i'll shoot i think i've got i'll probably run 150s on it um but with my last year with that dart in and then this year with the romex i'll either have i'll be somewhere between 180 and 230 is what I was just looking at running numbers. Yeah. I want to, I'll probably end up being around depends on if the bow will carry the speed or not, but I'll probably end up being, I know I'll be somewhere between, uh, 560 and 600 for total arrow weight. So, but that right. should still keep me above that 265. Yeah. Yeah. Once you find that, arrow weight that you need to hit to stay at whatever velocity then makes makes things easier for sure yeah then i just have to but yeah so my with my destroyer yeah i'm shooting lighter heads but right we'll see i mean that's really just my backup bow for the time being so right yeah you you like your new bow tech i mean i do shooting the crap out of that thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um okay so I, i i feel like we've we've probably had a decent discussion on that on picking your components um yeah now it's really not uh, not a ton to talk about on the on that yeah we, we we managed to talk about it for an hour so uh yeah <laughs> you know uh yeah uh okay so the the important part uh equally as important part building an arrow um so when you and i'm uh i i'm i want to talk about building an arrow and not include uh, the tuning portion. I just want to like build a quality arrow, yeah, and then so, we can talk about we can talk about tuning, like fine tuning it during the build process or directly afterwards later. But I do, yeah, I do well, want to talk about it. We we can definitely hold off the tuning for a different discussion. Um, that's, I mean, the the process of building the shafts really 
boils down to after the 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 tuning portion is done at least for right. me um because I'll, I'll tune with one shaft and then once that's dialed then yeah. i now know what the cut length is i now know what that stuff is right um yeah. and then the build process starts for everything else there there's still going to be you know some potential little fine tuning maybe some knock tuning or whatever else involved after the fact but um yeah the the process for building is the same regardless of whether you're you're tuning it or if you're just buying shafts cutting them to a certain length and putting them together yeah yeah so uh yeah absolutely cosine again uh so okay if i have if i've bought everything and i have all my components and i didn't even i'm a horrible podcast host i didn't write any of this down so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna be doing this flying by the seat of my pants and i hope i don't forget anything uh so the first thing that i'm gonna do well the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on a spine tester and I'm going to, I'm going to check everything, but I understand like 99% of people don't have and won't build a spine tester, which by the way, you can build a decent one for like 50, 60 bucks. Like it's, it's not it like a couple pieces of wood and a, what, what it is that technically? I, I'm, I'm too OCD for, for that. I, I tried making one from wood and my my tolerances in the wood were not up to my spec <laughs> and I I, I I threw the entire thing in the fire pit oh, no but well you can is it a micrometer am, am i am i thinking of the right uh the right tool uh oh is it, for is it dial indicator uh yeah well, I, I i guess a micrometer is the the actual like, yeah. handheld one uh yeah a, a dial you can buy a dial indicator at harbor freight that will work fine for 30 bucks like they're not they're not crazy expensive you don't have to go and buy a 400 dollar dial indicator for measuring arrows uh it it won't make a big deal pro tip though i will say that if you go and buy one from harbor freight there's a spring on the inside of it that creates more tension on the arrow than what needs to be there like that makes the dial push down and if you if you just pop it open and rip that spring out it's it's easier um, i'll just throw well, that out there if you want to do that but then, but then you can't side turn note, in, so. little tiny sidebar most of your arrow manufacturers are measuring the spine through uh lasers um mm-hmm. and so there is no you have the uh spec weight pulling from the center of a shaft that's supported 28 inches apart. And there is no additional weight of an indicator or anything else. So if you are using an indicator and you want to be really technical about it, because it, it will make a difference in, in your, your readings, um, then the weight of the, uh, the needle, and the the force of the whatever springs in there should be accounted for in the weight that you're using to uh to flex the shaft 
Right. Um, right. But yeah, definite sidebar. That I, I thought we yeah. weren't going to focus on the tuning part. Yeah. Sorry. Because <laughs> uh, we, um, we could dive into that hole for, for a while. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a deep, dark hole that we will, we'll, we'll do that in a 201 series, not the 101 <clears throat> series. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, Okay, so you get your shafts. The first thing, if you don't have a, a spine tester, that I would do is I would spin check all of your arrows. Uh, and, well, two things. I would first, the very first thing is I would dry fit all your components. Make sure that your components are actually going to fit. Uh, this changes a little bit if you're using a sleeve where you're going to have to sand stuff, but that's that's kind of a different conversation. Uh, but... Uh, dry fit your inserts, make sure that you have the right size because you don't want to cut your arrows or, uh, you know, don't want to get halfway through your build and find out you've got the wrong stuff. Uh, so dry fit stuff just at the very beginning to make sure everything fits. The second thing I would do is put everything uh, on a spin tester and and try and spin it. You can buy a Pine Ridge spin tester. You can buy a spin tester just about anywhere for like 20 bucks. They're not they're not expensive and they're well worth uh, worth getting. So Those get a spin tester. Sometimes really pieces of shit. Yeah, yeah they they can be uh, better than they're nothing, okay. Though, That's sure. true. Yeah, but. Uh, and I will say, uh, if you if you really like, if you really want to get that thing spinning, put your insert on on one side, and it will spin way longer. It's because mass and physics, folks. You're gonna learn more about that later. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but. Uh, uh, spin it and look at both sides. And I'm, I'm, I'm so OCD that I don't even care what both sides look like. So depending if you have really good quality shafts, you shouldn't see much run out on either side. Uh, but if you got something like, uh, a six thousandths shaft where you might have a total run out of 12 thousandths, uh, uh, then you might see more wobble on one side than you will on the other. And if that's the case, I would start marking the sides that you want to cut off of uh, to get you to your desired length. So for example, if you have a 32 inch, I'm going to use like really simple math just so I don't get confused. If you have a 32 inch arrow and you need to cut it down to 28 inches, uh, you could either cut four inches from one side, three inches from one side and one in one inch from the other or two inches from both sides. And depending on the severity of the wobble, you can kind of alleviate that run out by choosing which side to cut off of. But like I said, if you're using decent, uh, decent arrows, that's typically not a big deal. I cut an equal amount off both sides just because I'm OCD and I want my labels to match. So, that, so there's that. Uh, uh, but it's all about the gram, folks. It's all about the Instagram pictures. If your labels don't match, people are going to laugh at you. So, uh, uh, so I would cut uh, cut both sides, uh, or, or cut cut to make the wobble as less as po- the, the least amount possible. Do we? Do we have any disagreements so far? Would anyone do anything different to start? If no. you're wanting to be as precise as possible, that's a good way to go about it. Okay. So that's that's step two for me, I guess. Uh, step three is I take a uh, like a silver gold Sharpie and I mark the ends of both sides, both the knock end and the insert end. Uh, and I, I use this as a reference for when I square the arrow so you can buy like a g5 arrow squaring device it's like 30 or 40 bucks it's not crazy there's another guy that sells like 3d printed ones for like 
$20 and you just like buy a little piece of sandpaper and put it in there and it, I guess it works great. I don't know. But point being, you're going to square the end of that shaft. There's probably a dozen arrow squaring tools out there anymore, I would guess. Uh, but squaring the end of your shaft is going to uh, do two things, well, one for both sides. One, if you're squaring the knock side, it's going to make sure that you have equal force when that bow is pushing on the knock to where if you were sitting at like some type of extreme angle, the knock would push on one side more and you could end up uh, either one with a broken shaft or a broken knock. So having it as even as possible is going to alleviate any issues of possible splintering on the back end because it's going to apply equal force all the way around the, the entire arrow instead of on one spot. Uh, and it's going to make it more accurate. And two, when you do it on the insert side, it's going to prevent wobble uh, on that front end, especially when you get your broadhead on there and uh, eventually uh, alleviate any kind of uh, planing or uh, uneven flight that you could uh, could have as a result of the front end not being square. Uh, Rob, I know you've built a ton of arrows for for customers. Do you have any words of wisdom on on squaring? No, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people don't mark uh, when they square. They'll just, you know, run it five, six, seven, whatever revolutions and call it good. Right. Um, but right. The, the beauty of marking it is then you can see your high lows and you know, right. right? So if I, if I take that Sharpie and I mark the end of the shaft, and when we say end of the shaft, we're saying the 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 actual end. You're you're coloring the 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 wall thickness, like that part of the shaft. Um, yep. And so then you start squaring it, and if you look at it, you'll see that you now have colored spots and then bare carbon. And that was the bare carbon was your high spots, right? And yep. so if you keep squaring until it is all carbon again, you know that it's square. Um, so that's yep. a very easy reference uh, if you're wanting to, to pay attention to that. Um, one thing to note with squaring the knock end is that unequal force can cause a differing reaction at launch. Yep. Because the shaft and is going to flex your, differently. Your, yep. Spine alignment becomes even more important at that point. Well, and that's, oh, there's a lot of different arguments on spine alignment. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the big thing is that you want all of the shafts, if at all possible, to be having the force applied in the same uh, same alignment. So having them all square and being applied square, the force. Um, and then that's going to alleviate a lot of what people tend to fix with knock, knock tuning. Um, the secondary part of that is there can be some variation in how the shaft is flexing because of the spine, uh, because of right. stiff and weaker uh, sections cross sections of the shaft. Um, but that that's a different topic. Yeah. So squaring do that. It's helpful. There's nothing, 
bad they can come from it. Um, okay, so you have cut your arrows uh, to alleviate any wobble from either side. You have squared your arrows. Uh, the next part is going to be to install your insert, but it's not just cram it in, put some glue on it, and call it good. Uh, especially after you have cut that uh, carbon, there's going to be carbon dust and buildup on the inside. So please one, do, do, go ahead. One thing that I just wanted to comment on for cutting the shafts mm-hmm. is um, there are a million ways that people measure arrow shafts. Mm-hmm. So if if you're going purely off of another set of shafts that you already have, that's one thing where you know where you cut the last one and you you're using the same components. Um, but like if you're having a shop build you some, or if you're having uh, someplace online build you some knowing how to correctly specify arrow length is important. Um, sure. Because 28 inches carbon to carbon is different than 28 inches BOP. You know, and uh, BOP is base mm-hmm. of point, which is an AOMO, uh, an AOMO reference. Um, so that's like anything that I do, I, I reference BOP, which is the value of the knock where the string is contacting the knock to the base of the point. And the beauty of that number is the broadhead position will not change regardless of what components are used, regardless of what else is used. Um, right. So you could go from uh, insert to an outsert and your broadhead is going to be in the same location, um, which a lot of guys that don't dynamically tune, that's how they cut their arrows. That's how they know their length is that they know that they want the broadhead to be mid shelf or they know that they want the broadhead to be at the end of the shelf. And like, if you go from a standard insert to uh, like on a micro with an outsert system, you're going to have in some cases a half inch to almost an inch of variance, depending on which system you're using from what you thought was a 28 inch shaft right so no understanding that especially if you're taking notes and and referencing to anyone else what you did is you know just uh knowing the system that you're using so that when you compare numbers with someone it's apples to apples Mm -hmm. yeah the easiest way i find I, i i measure all of my stuff carbon to carbon I don't mess with knocks. I don't mess with inserts. Like if I'm if I'm talking between friends and between people, uh, I'm carbon to carbon, carbon to carbon. It's 28 inches or it's 27 and a half just because I've had, uh, uh, you know, a lot of guys will say uh, uh, throw to knock to the end of the carbon is this much. Well, I've had I, I think I got some of those knockout knocks one time and they were like yep. a half inch longer than any yep. other knock. And, and so I was like, well, what just happened? Uh, but it's because my, my knocks extended by, by half an inch, uh, yeah. by swapping them out. So 
carbon to carbon is typically how I try and measure things. Uh, but I mean, everyone's different, but just make sure, I mean, point, point being, I think, you know, just make sure you're consistent and, and make sure there is clarity, especially if you're having somebody else build them for you. Yes. So, um, what were we, what were we doing? We were cleaning. Oh, prepping, cleaning and prepping. Yeah. So, uh, two things that I would, I would recommend that you do one thing a hundred percent for sure is clean the inside of your arrow. Uh, so before, before you're going to build an arrow, uh, do you, you want to score the inside of your arrow before you clean that, that is so that, that is my, like, I would do it, but if you don't do it, I don't think it's like the total end of the world kind of thing. I would, no. I, if, if, if you That's had to, a, if, if you said you can either, you can either score or clean, I would say clean, like clean your shaft. Uh, clean well, shaft. yes, no, uh, 100%. So. You have to clean the shaft regardless. I was just yeah. referencing that, uh, scoring it before you, you, you want it. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to clean twice. <laughs> yep. So, um, uh, so three, three things you need, you need a, uh, you need some like rubbing alcohol or any type of, uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking Acetone. for? Acetone. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I Isopropyl. <sighs> yeah, the isopropyl. There we go. We're a science-based podcast, and I can't remember that. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, have some alcohol there. Get some. I don't know. Get some whiskey. I don't know, something, and uh, uh, get some Q-tips and take those Q-tips and kind of move it in and out. And I, I rotate the shaft. I find that to be easier than trying to like move the Q-tip around. So I'll twist the shaft in my left hand and just kind of move the Q-tip in and out about an inch and a half on the inside of the shaft. Whatever uh, um, amount that you're going to be gluing, that's what should be yep. cleaned. Yep. And keep cleaning it until you can stick a Q-tip in there and it looks like you just took it back out and it's the same. Uh, if there's any carbon dust in there, like what Bruce talked about last time, uh, it is, it's not going to adhere how it should. So... Uh, but before you do any cleaning, uh, if you are going to score it, do that first, like Rob said before, uh, and you, I, if I score something, I normally, I've got like a huge, like bore cleaning kit, uh, and you can, you can buy one at Cabela's for like, like 12 bucks now. And it'll clean like anything from a 22 to like a, like a, I don't know, like a 44 way liner. So yeah, big, big stuff. Uh, so uh, it, it should be able to cover any arrow and you just chuck that guy on a drill or, and then you don't even have to do it on a drill. You can just do it with your hand if you want, but stick yeah, that guy I, in there I and score up the hand. inside of that arrow a little bit. Yeah. Score up I, the inside not, of that arrow. Uh, I'm not looking to really, remove, to truly remove carbon. any material. And I guess that would be my right. concern with a drill is it's very easy because you can't see it. Um, right. so it's, it's easy to get overzealous. Um, the, the, the purpose behind scoring the shaft is just to, uh, put some, some like micro grooves in the shaft material. And it right. can also like, as Bruce mentioned last week with different coatings, it can take off and score that coating. Uh, because m most of the coatings, if a shaft does have a coating, are for the purpose of of uh, reducing frictional coefficient. Um, 
And so the smoother that the surface is, the less that there is to bond to. And so by scoring it and, and putting your own micro grooves in there, you're allowing something for the glue to grab and hold on. Yep. Yep. And you should have, there should be some type of grooves within the insert, uh, uh, that, that should do this for you, but having more grooves on the carbon is, is only going to help and it's going to make a stronger bond and strong bonds are important. So, uh, score it, clean it, and then do the install. So here's where, uh, I, I get maybe a little bit more wild than, than most people do, but this is, it's something that like we have, we have available. And I, I think this is a really, a really big thing. It's real. it's, it's very helpful, especially if you have, uh, quote unquote, more budget shafts. Um, just about anyone who has a smartphone now has a slow motion camera and, and has that availability and you can really, really see wobble on a slow motion camera. So there's two things that I would do. I would take your broadhead and go ahead and screw it into your insert uh, and use whatever kind of glue. This is why I'm a really a big proponent of hot melt or something that you can you can break loose uh, because if it's not perfect first time, it literally takes like 30 seconds and you can change it or fix it. And and you can do that. You can do this on a dry fit first if you want to. So you can make. Uh, so if you take your insert, okay, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself and I'm not doing a very good job of explaining <laughs> this. I'm really sorry. Uh, so, so what I will do is I will take my, uh, arrow spinner and I will set it on top of a piece of graph paper. Uh, this is, this is how bad I get. I'll set it on top of a piece of graph paper and I will take the little like baby tripod I've got and set my phone above the arrow and where the broadhead's going to be. I will turn on slow motion and I will spin it. And I'll like line up the broadhead like with a like with a cross section on the graph paper and see if that tip rolls off of that cross section. And if it does, then I'll rotate the uh, the insert until there is no more wobble. Uh, so this is a completely probably overboard thing Hyper for most OC. Yes, <laughs> but but if you this can be helpful if you if you have crap shafts. Like if you if you just have if you have shafts that like they're gonna wobble, there's nothing you can do about it. Then doing something like this is going to be uh, going to be helpful with your arrow flight. Yeah. It, it'll allow you to to mitigate it as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. One thing I would like to note is broadhead wobble is always a hot topic. Anytime. People are talking about accuracy. And if you're running an industry standard shaft, yes, it can make a significant difference where you're in that 8 to 12% FOC. If you're north of 20%, yeah. it makes very little difference. I have yeah. literally, and I, I've seen, I, I know other guys that have done this same test. I have taken a double XL silver flame that is a nearly two inch wide fixed two blade. I have yep. loosened the screw, tipped the broadhead so that it is physically unbalanced. 
And I have shot that out to 60, 70, 80 yards with no issues. If everything else is covered while super high levels of, of, you know, attention to detail are great. I am a huge fan. I, I do the same thing. Maybe not to the point of graph paper and slow motion, (laughs) but I, I do strive for as perfect as possible, but do not, if you have a decent amount of front of center, do not freak out and think that it's junk and it's not going to fly well just because there is some small little wobble. It's, I guess, just one of those things where people can blow it out of context. I've even noticed the difference, like not even getting above the 20%, but like, you know, the most that like industry quote unquote people will recommend is like what, 12, 14%. Yeah. And even at like, I mean, for me, even once you get to like 15 to 17%, it starts to like Aeroflight improves so much, even if there's a slight wobble, like it, like, you don't, you know, you're the... The, the mass is wanting to go the direction it's going. That's the big thing. As your front of center goes up, you have a higher concentration of mass in the front of the shaft. Yeah, That mass, once put in motion, wants to stay in the same path. Right. And right. it's going to be less affected by outside forces. And I guess I, I mentioned twenty percent because the majority of stuff that I build and I shoot is always above twenty, right. um, and so that's what I tested with because that's what I was using. So I yeah. I, I mean, did not I think... do a full blown test where I was you know going down an FOC seeing where you know it it became more apparent. It was just a right. you know. If this is such an issue, okay, here, I'm going to do this. And then I shot it and I went, well, it it still works. I think another big issue that guys ignore is um, as far as like, you know, people saying that fixed blades won't fly like field points is that they're trying to shoot their bows too fast. And they also have too low FOC and they're just shooting blazers. Like they don't pick a fletching configuration that is more forgiving well, so and that's, there's nothing wrong like, with you know, the laser. Get, well, no, but, but like if if things if are got too low FOC and you've got a broadhead with a high, like you high know, surface higher area, yeah, high surface area, like you're gonna get some planing, yes, because yep. that broadhead's gonna take over. Yep. Well, and that's <laughs> if I mean if if a bear shaft is flying well, I don't care what fletching you put on it. It, it's gonna fly pretty pretty well yeah um and so it's it's really a, a full picture and that's i mean a big reason why we tend to refer to it as an arrow system is yeah if if you cover all the bases then it it, it should work fairly well um yeah it's and, you know i'm not saying that broadheads won't fly like that's not why they won't fly right it's usually a lot of things but that is definitely something that i've noticed is that you know low foc just slap a broadhead on the front of an arrow and they expect it to fly right it's like well your bow probably wasn't tuned all that great to begin with and all of the other factors 
combined. It's like, yeah, yep. that's that's why your broadheads and field points don't fly the same. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of things you can do to control that. I think I guess control yep. will be the right word. Uh, mm-hmm. That's or alleviate any any possible issues. Yeah, because all all the time I you know see guys. Uh, I can't I can't get any fixed blade to fly right. What are you shooting? Um, 80 pound speed bow at 30 inch draw and shooting a, you know, 350 spine, 300, 380 grain arrow. I'm like, hey. <laughs> yeah, 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 all the time. Spine out of 80 pounds and yeah, you wonder why your arrow looks like a limp noodle. Like, hmm, yeah, exa- well, exactly. Exactly. It's like, well, it <laughs> yeah, well, you will, you're the front of your head is flexing like eight inches on, on launch. Of course it's yeah. not going to fly. Right. Like, right. Yeah, it's it might, mechanical. But like, yeah, it's yeah. Gonna, so, yeah. No, slow, slow, that, slow that thing down. There ain't nothing yeah. wrong with that. So, or, or um, just okay. Stiffen everything else up. Yeah. 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 But well, you will inherit, you will inherently <laughs> slow things down when you, when you stiffen things up too. Um, okay. So where, where were we? What was the last part we were on? Adhesion. There's a joke in there. And oh, I missed it. yeah. Uh, uh, oh, we we're we we're talking that's, about my graph paper. That's right. Yeah. Um, we we're talking yeah, about. You don't have to get okay. Spinning everything while you're gluing and then verifying and adjusting as necessary. Yeah. Make sure. Just do your best to make sure things are straight. You don't have yeah, to get I graph do, paper and slow like motion the, camera out, but. I do like the graph paper idea just because it gives you a frame of reference, but even just a notebook paper, just putting that point yeah. on a straight line that you can yep. see if it, if just looking at it, just eyeballing it, you can track it. Yeah. That's well, really, if you just put it, if you just put it like a, a plus sign with, yeah. Uh, on, on a piece it's of paper straight, and just kind of like line. line it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. my arrow spinner. I have a pointer set up on mm-hmm. it. So I right. adjust the pointer until it's in line with the tip starting position. And it just gives your mm-hmm. eye a fixed point of reference. Right. Right. So whether it's graph paper or anything else, it's just allowing you to see the movement easier. Yeah. So make sure things are spinning as true as they can. Then uh, glue. Uh, use a quality glue. Don't, I mean... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good options out there now there's all sorts of good impact resistance glue i'm still partial to hot melt just because i can take it in and out like so easily that's what she said and uh and you can you can just really really quickly change things which uh, because i'm always especially with with trad archery i'm always you know, pulling weights in and out and trying to, trying to get the correct dynamic spine. It, it just, I find it to be a lot easier. Uh, but there's lots of other glues out there. Cool melt. I've never messed with cool melt, but I actually watched a video on it the other day and it looks pretty nifty. So. Cool melt. I easy. love for testing. I mm-hmm. do not like it long term. Yeah. Uh, I'm going like, to, I'm going to use it on, I'm going to use it on those sleeves. Yeah, the sleeves. Yeah. I, I have no yeah. issue with the sleeves. Um, yeah. I guess as long as the sleeve is held in place, you know, by like the head or something aside from that, um, cause I guess the issue that I've had with cool melt is it is a very low temp glue and mm-hmm. 
if I'm doing form work, um, like blank bail type stuff from like three yards where I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not looking at really shot placement. I'm just working on form. I'm working on shot sequence. Um, you can rack up a lot of shots in a couple of minutes if you're, you know, just one arrow, you shoot it, you take one step, you pull it out, go through your shot sequence again, you shoot it, take one step, pull it out, and heat is building up in the metal. Yep. And after a handful of shots, all of a sudden you pull out your arrow and you no longer have components. Yeah, that's really frustrating. (laughs) I'm probably going to get some hot melt to swap out my for the because I have cool melt and it. Yeah, it's like Rob said, it's fine as long as you're not getting them too hot. But even on, you know, 3D shoots happened in the summer. I've had it just get warm enough just from dumb leave my arrows sitting in the sun for 15 minutes. And then I shoot a target and I don't have a insert left when I pull my arrow. But I mean, yeah, for getting stuff just set up, it's perfectly fine. And I mean, another thing that does help, but it's so like it helps, but not great. Doesn't alleviate the problem is just make sure that you set it right, which I think most people don't like. They think that it's since you use heat to put it on with that you don't have to set it right. But I've found that, I mean, you're supposed to set it with ice water, I think, at least that's how I do it. But you know, yeah. a lot of guys don't, and then they're like, "Well, why did my insert fall out?" It's like, "Well, did you set well, them?" Like, that's uh... that's also part of the issue that a lot of people don't recommend hot melt is yeah. because they're not using it properly, and it's 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 very much a, a CYA kind of thing because if you right. if you heat up the components and the you know the glue is soft enough to properly install then there's residual heat in those metal components if you don't cool it off that heat is all staying there and transferring to the carbon which if there's enough heat then you're damaging the carbon and the resins and now you're going to have an issue. Um, yeah. So the the goal is to use as little heat as is necessary and to mm-hmm. cool it off as soon as you can. That's I literally, yep. I, I spin the components in. I make sure that it's fully seated. And if you're using an outsert system that that is integral or that you know you're you're installing both at the same time uh insert and outsert at the same time i would then spin it double check that my length is correct and i i have a jig set up on my table for that so i have a tape that's on the table and i have a pin that i i just pop the knock onto the pin length's good spin it good ice water it's literally a couple of seconds mm-hmm. and so you're just limiting the the heat exposure yeah 
I also I really would, like uh, uh, the um, not hot melt, but it's a uh, the goat tough or not goat tough. Goat tough's good too. Um, goat tough is good. Yeah. yeah. What's the other stuff I use? Just because it's more accessible. The melt? gorilla, no, the gorilla glue, just oh, gel, like the yeah, gel the, super yeah, glue the gel stuff. Yeah, I like that stuff a lot. I think Matt, you said, do you use the non gel? No, or... it's Blaine. I think. Oh, okay. uh, uh, one thing that I've used that I really liked is the uh, uh, AAE. I think it's Max Impact. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a rubberized glue, and it it's stuff? yeah, it's black. It's yeah. awesome. That's really no, good for the Valkyrie components. Yeah, well, I I bought it for Valkyrie because that's what Brent recommended. Yeah. Um, but note on a lot of these glues, they have a shelf life. Not only do they have a shelf life they a lot of them need to be kept refrigerated and if they mm-hmm. aren't they they will become brittle and it will break yeah, so in your in your glue choosing uh time uh do do a little research i mean just about any glue out there will will work fine but don't go by uh you know uh, like i think that the max impact i think is one of those like it has to be refrigerated and i think after like six months they're like yeah throw it away it's not gonna work yeah. uh so just keep keep an eye on that stuff because I don't want you to well, especially go through all this trouble. If you're and then... a, a normal, you know, bow hunter that you might build one set of arrows a year. Pay attention to the shelf life. Yeah, because <laughs> right. yeah. I, I know guys that have had the same bottle of glue for five years because it'll do six dozen shafts or ten dozen shafts. Right, but they only build yep. one and... set a year. You know, and then they wonder why all their fletchings are falling off. Yeah, and that's a big one. Is is vein glue is notorious for that. Yeah. Um, and the, the one thing that I would point out for evaluating glue is um, glue is going to have an initial set time, and then it's like a, a working period. And then it's going to have a cure time. Um, so when you're picking out a glue, if you're just looking through, you know, the different stuff from uh, Gorilla and Loctite and whoever else that you might be looking at for different types of epoxies and, you know, uh, super glues and everything else is definitely pay attention to the working time because if you have something that sets up within five seconds of you know pressure being applied you're not going to have time to do any spinning you're not going to have time to check before it's it's pretty much locked in um yeah the second part is that cure time which plays a very large role in how brittle I guess how impact resistant the glue is. Um, the faster that a glue is cured, typically the more crystalline and the more brittle it will be. Um, so that's, you know, like a lot of your epoxies, you might have a, like a two hour cure. You might have something that's 24 hours, like if you were to compare the two, the 24 hour is going to be a softer end product, which is going to be more impact resistant. Um, so just something to pay attention to. 
Yep. So, uh, you glue it and then you shoot it, right? Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so then uh, well, we're getting to like the bane of my existence, which is fletching. Ugh. <laughs> I've, I've I've built a lot of arrows and I've fletched a lot of arrows and I still suck at it. I'm just not good. I don't I don't understand. I Matt, like to consider myself like someone brings me joy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to consider myself somewhat of a craftsman. Like if I see something, I'm like, ah, oh, I can build that. And normally I can. Hell, I built an entire covered awning like a 30 foot covered awning cover my entire back porch can i flush a damn arrow no on, i can't on you. I, can't, I can't do it i don't know what the problem is I don't i sometimes i use like way too much glue other times the glue like there is no glue on it i don't understand i don't get it so uh i don't know listen to listen to robin garrett on this next one because I don't know. I apparently I suck at gluing and fletching, but it, well, I, I guess you would you would do wraps before that if you're going to do that. Uh, um, I like but, paint, which but either way, yeah, yeah. That's actually that's something I kind of want to mess around with on a on another set of arrows, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I've yeah. never I've never painted anything, but I feel I guess that probably could help. Uh, that that but, is one yeah. thing that I've I've been debating on playing with Garrett. What uh, what types of paints are you using? Um, so don't use Rust-Oleum because it's shit. Uh, it just <laughs> peels it peels off like in it looks like you got sunburnt and all your skin's peeling off is how bad it's yeah, it peels that's, that's, I've, heard, I've heard that. It just doesn't adhere to the carbon and it might, you know, it might be that I should have like sanded it down a little bit more or whatever, but um, I'll take like not even like uh not steel wool but um we have to do like normal paint pad. yeah normal yeah, paint just prep. like yeah just normal just a, like the brillo pad just the green one or whatever rub that on it real quick and then you know clear it clean it like you would the shaft which was with some alcohol or whatever and then uh i used krylon either i use i put a base coat down cuz i usually use fluorescent colors mm-hmm. so i'll put mm-hmm. a base coat of a either flat white or semi-gloss white and then the fluorescent uh, krylon colors are like kind of see-through um so if you don't put the base coat down like it looks like total dog shit but if you put the base coat of white down it you can't tell the difference and with that stuff you also have to be careful with um how much you put on at once like just like every other paint but that stuff's real Mm -hmm. it'll crack it's not like it doesn't mess with the adhesion quality of it for the fletchings later, but like it will crack if you get too much paint layered on it at once. Mm-hmm. Um, since it's, I don't know if you'd call it translucent or whatever the hell, but uh, it's a real thin coat. So, but other than that, yeah, I just use Krylon and then I made my own little um, cresting machine that's pretty. Yeah podunk but it was like i bought like a three dollar little tiny fan at walmart it's just one speed which is a little too fast but it's fine <laughs> but yeah so i can hey, if kinda, it's stupid and it works then it's not stupid so yeah it works somewhat but yeah I, and it's <laughs> it's lighter than 
um, a wrap. Like I think with all like even the heaviest that I went or like if I got a little heavy handed with the white, it still only ended up being six grains, five or six grains. And I, that's painting like a, you know, eight inch portion of the arrow. Yeah. yeah, it's lighter than most wraps for sure. But I mean, most yeah. like and, and, four inch wraps are around six to eight. So, yeah. And even, you know, I shoot, I do shoot veins and I shoot, like I shoot longer veins. So I tried to, I just wanted to try the paint to see if it would work. So I wouldn't have to use a wrap too. Cause then I'm got, I've got like 50 grains on the back of my damn arrow. Yeah. Well, especially after four fletch veins, lighted knock yeah. wrap. Like, yeah, you can, you can get to 50, 50 grains on the back end real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I for know, actual, we... you know, uh, fletching, you know, once if, mm-hmm. if you do paint or you put a wrap on, whatever the case is, um, that's typically what's, what's um, your glue application method, Rob? This is probably where Matt needs thin. help. Yes. Maybe I, I've um, I've done it. Well, I've done it both. I've done I've done a really thin bead, and and like I'm like, oh, that's that. Okay, but, like, but that what are you considering glue. thin? Like, if I take a uh, a vein, right? You have the 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 base of the vein, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's cupped, right? Yeah. If if I make a thin bead. Glue is not touching, like glue is down the center. There is not touching touching the the edges of of that cup. And it's not Yeah, that sounds sounds about right. Right? Yeah. Um, I guess typically the like what I would say is the perfect amount of glue is when you put it in the clamp and you press it on the shaft. You can see wet, like a very thin bead on both sides of that foot of of the base of the vein. But it's not, you know, it's it's apparent that some squeezed out that you have full coverage. But there is no beading. There is no dripping. Um and it's a definitely a very fine line between that and having a little bit of a drip. Um, but I mean, for the most part, the biggest issue that I normally see with people struggling to fletch is they use too much and then it yeah. doesn't dry well. And right. And then, the vein won't like sit all the way down. Yeah. Well, and the other part is clamp setup. Yeah, a lot is, of the time if that if, vein's if not sitting all the way down, that's properly, more. It doesn't matter yeah, what you do for the, glue. <laughs> yeah, if, right. If your vein's not sitting on the shaft all the way, and before you even put any glue on it, you need to yeah. address that your dry clamp fit. is not set up right. <laughs> yeah, again, dry fit. Um, always, but yeah, always look, put it, set it, it down, look at it from all angles, and make sure that it's gonna sit all the way down and then you know like check your clamp make sure there's no glue build up or anything like that which is yeah, pretty right. common um that's before i start a set of arrows i always clean my clamp um to remove any glue build up from you know 
the last time. Um, and, and that's primarily because it's a lot easier to clean the clamp after it's dried. Um, when you wrap up a set, there's probably going to be some glue on there. Um, and if it's wet and sticky, you tips to your friend come off. So that's, I'll clean it before I start a set. I will uh, position the vein in the clamp, have the arrow in the jig, and then fine tune the position until um, I, if I look at it from any angle, I can't see light. If you're seeing light in any portion or you're seeing a gap, in any portion, then you're not going to have good adhesion in that spot. It's not going to magically pull itself down with the glue. Um, so depending on the type of clamp, you know, with a straight clamp, you're going to be limited on the offset that you can do. And you, I mean, you really don't want to go too crazy with it anyway. You know, two, three degrees is good. Um, and so I'll fine tune in that area to make sure that I have it fully seated on the shaft with a helical, then the, the jig position can change a little bit because you're kind of, now you're working a larger portion of the shaft and you're kind of wrapping around, um, but it's the same thing. You want to make sure that it's fully seated and that you don't have any gaps. You don't have any spots where it's lifting. And once once you're happy with the positioning, then you glue. And I'll normally do one vein and then pull the clamp off, pull the shaft out of the jig, and look at it and verify that everything is seated and how I want it uh, because it's a lot easier to rip that one vein off and reclean one shaft than to do a half dozen and realize that half of them are lifting. Yeah. What, think, but why would, why would some lift and others not? I guess, I guess that's a, like I, I've I've ran when I've been fletching this last batch that I did is probably the best best set I've ever had to be honest with you, uh, but like all I'd run through like four or five arrows and I have a single one go wrong, and then like and I'm putting the clamp on the same every time nothing's changing and I and I like I press down on it to make sure that it's it's seated, and then like well, I'll take the clamp off of one no, and one is just like like sitting it, halfway no, out. It, that yeah that, that pressing is probably when, what it is you shouldn't you have to press, press down too much yeah that's literally like i guess i have i use a bits um same and as do so i yep i drop the bottom of the clamp against the base it's on the magnet and i slide down and i literally once I am contacting the shaft. That's all the pressure I put on. I'm not yeah. pressing down because if, and I guess for our listeners, you're not going to be able to see the reference, but if, if I've got that cup 
right? And now I start, I'm pressing from the center. So if I'm, if I come down and it's perfect, I don't misshape it. If I start pressing now, those edges of that base are flaring, right? And so now the center is connected because you're pressing down on it. Right. And depending on how much glue you had, you might be filling some of the gaps where it might adhere on 50% of them. Right. But on, depending on the level of glue, you know, the amount of glue that you have, there's a very good chance that you're going to have dry spots and points of non-contact from that lifting that's occurring on the edges of the base. And now Another it's thing. on there, it looks good, and you take a shot, and now you have a rotation, and now it breaks off. You know, that's, I guess, Another my, my that... check for the veins is within a, a minute or two, because that's I'll I'll do one and I'll set it aside, and if I come back to it a couple minutes later, I should be able to take that vein and pull it side to side, and see no lift, see no flexing or movement on the base. Right. Another, because, another thing is if you're if you're pushing down on that clamp. Like, you know, the bits clamps aren't super tight. They're tight enough, but they're not super tight. So when you put that pressure down, right, you might be pushing that vein farther up into the clamp. So when you let that pressure off, it's actually lifted up into yeah, the clamp more on that one spot. So it's not actually sitting on the shaft now since you push down on it too hard. If that makes sense. Yeah, that that makes sense. I normally seed it like all the way in, but I yeah, I but see I mean, how me, it could me pushing still... on it could. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it, like, if you're pushing on yeah, it, you could... see, it, it it pushes that ridge like into yeah. into yeah. the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I, I mean, next, I don't think I don't feel like I'm pushing. We'll have to do a, a fletching seminar. <laughs> yeah, no, and it, no I mean, honestly, it doesn't like next time you're fletching arrows, just take your like, well, you're gonna have to clean the fletching after the fact. But before you right. get going, like, see how much pressure it takes to just push that fletch or that vein up into the clamp mm -hmm. just with your thumb and then like let off of it. And you'll see that it does stick up in there a little bit because, you know, like when you do when you go to set it up in there, like you're like, OK, this is nice and even. And then you push on it and it sticks up a little bit higher. Right. Man, this helical one ain't letting go for anything. It's tight, but <laughs> my straight one is not this tight. I can tell you that. Huh. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a I'll lot of mess with it. There's a lot of little finesse things. And honestly, the only way to really get proficient is to do it and to yeah. evaluate what mistakes you're making or evaluate the the end result and then extrapolate what potential causes might be um so i mean if you're wanting you know if, if you're in the same boat as matt and you've struggled to fletch very easy solution is to get 
buy a 50 pack of veins buy like one aluminum shaft or find someone that has an aluminum shaft because they're super easy to clean and practice fletch that one shaft evaluate your work strip it off clean it and then do better <laughs> fix whatever problems you had rip it off do it again and as you work through it if you're actually consciously evaluating the end result you'll start noticing that okay i i had a little more glue on this one i had to wipe it you know i had to wipe it a little more with the q-tip and you know it, it's set but if i if i pull on it i can see it 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 lift and then i let go and it kind of it it kind of pulls itself back in where you can tell that there's a little too much glue there and it's not drying properly or you know you you tweak on it and you can see that the edges must have either been flared from too much pressure or there wasn't enough glue that you didn't have uh it fully covered uh where like the edges of that base would be lifting um and so it's it's just kind of a mess with it you'll get better i've gone from absolutely horrible to like still horrible so <laughs> yeah but but not absolutely one other horrible anymore one other thing is um like going from veins to feathers feathers can be a little trickier one because they have a natural shape to them um and they might have a slight natural curvature which might be fighting against the clamp um also the quill can tend to absorb glue um which can mess with how much glue is actually needed um so it can be a little bit of a learning curve with feathers in some cases um but what i tend to do with feathers is i will uh put a bead of glue on the quill and let it kind of sit in the clamp for, you know, a, a very short period of time, say five, 10 seconds, whatever, just to right. uh, let the glue kind of absorb a little bit into that quill and just slightly set up. Um, and then I'll clamp it. And it's, I guess I haven't researched into it at all, but doing that with uh, feathers seems to be a lot more consistent for me. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. If you're using feathers, get some fletching tape and don't even bother yep. with glue. Yes, yes I so love yep. fletching yep. tape yep. for feathers. <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> yep. Yes, it is. When I got fletching uh, tape, I was like, oh, I can, like, I don't like, have to hey, suck at fletching anymore. This. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and I'm not got covered all... in glue. This is great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, one thing that, so my difference in fletching, for glue application for between Rob and I. Um, I've always done it this way and 
that since I was a little kid, I actually started, it's probably not fair, Matt. I started building arrows and like pens with veins on them uh, when I was about five years old. And I've fletched my own arrows and everybody else's arrows I know since then. So I've had a lot of practice. Um, but uh, as far as my glue application, I'll put a little thin bead and it usually depends, like if I have like goat tough or something with a really small nozzle or sometimes I'll buy some little, I think they're called like pipettes or something Yep. and use those for glue. Um, but if usually if I'm using that gorilla glue gel, the applicator is a bigger hole. So I'll run a thin bead on the front, a thin bead on the back, and then I'll just dot it down the vein. And it usually, like, it's never too much glue, but it usually, it spreads out nice and even once I do put it down. But since I can't get as fine of a line um, due to the point, I just do it that way. Yeah. That way I'm not getting too much glue on it. But, yeah. So yeah, if you guys are using a super glue definitely bottle dependent that you cut on... the end off of or something. But... <laughs> definitely dependent on, on what glue you're using and what the applicator is like. Yeah. Um, because yeah, yeah any, I know any glue, those little pipettes that... are lifesavers. Oh yeah. Too. Those are nice. You can just, just um, buy those things on, uh, Amazon by the yeah. thousand. But yeah, any glue that has a larger opening or, you know, one that you had to cut the tip off to open, um, you don't always have, have the most precise control. Um, yeah. And so the one thing is that you have a, a fairly good, uh, um, I'm blanking on the technical term, but um, the liquid adhering to itself. And so you can kind of control the bubble mm. on the tip. And at that point, you can kind of dab yeah. down the shaft and right. you know control the total glue on it um on the vein and if you need to then just kind of come back you know let off any pressure and come back and kind of dab and and evenly spread it out um but i mean there's a million ways of doing it and if it works then it works if it works it works yep or just, you know, like what Garrett said, just shoot, shoot feathers and then use feather tape <laughs> because yeah, it's, tape. it's easy. Fletching tape. Yeah. It's very nice. And I will say that. It is nice. It is nice. I always, um, look, I always looked at it and scoffed before and then I tried it on <laughs> some feathers once. I was like, oh, I've oh, been living a lot nice. my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, is there, uh, well, I know we, we talked, we we're going to say tuning for the for another conversation yes. and we've somehow managed to ramble for two hours about building an arrow. Uh, so yeah. we, we had yeah. some good little, <laughs> good little rabbit holes in there though. Some oh, nice yeah, little yeah. insights and sidebars. So, yeah. Um, do we, do we have anything else? I guess I could probably go ahead and announce who next week's guest is going to be. I think 
God, I hope we, I hope it's not wrong now after, after saying it, <laughs> if it is, I'll just edit it out. <laughs> if, if it is, this is going to be the end of the podcast right here. But if, it's, if I'm, if I'm right, then, then it will not be. Well, as um, long as there isn't another week, scheduling issue, then we should be fine. Yeah. 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 Well, that, I don't know when that one's going to happen now. Oh, uh, uh talking about yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think next, next week is going to be, uh, Todd from Grizzly Stick and Bruce from Ethics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, to to get together. Uh and then we'll that will kind of lead to some other podcasts mm-hmm. as well. So, um <clears throat> yeah, so uh next week we'll be following up with uh, uh uh from last week's episode with all the stuff <laughs> we talked about with Bruce and uh and the collaboration that's going on with uh, with Grizzly St- with Grizzly Stick. Yeah, oh, so man, you can it's getting see late. that we're not full of shit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't make this. Um, yeah, we did. We didn't make it up just to just to make you guys listen. It's real. Um, do we have anything else? Do we have anything else to add to this episode? I guess. I mean, fletching's no, I mean, it. I mean, you put, I, I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, we, it. we went through, you know, some different manners of picking your components and you know setting up an arrow system that that you're going to be. Uh, confident and comfortable with and then we went through i mean pretty step by step on the actual build process you know some different things to look out for uh some little holes that you want to try and avoid or pitfalls that you want to try and avoid um so yeah i think think that should uh cover it and worst case if you're if you're that worried about building them and you're just not comfortable doing it yourself, there's a lot of shops out there that uh, will build for you to your specifications. Yeah, a lot of, I will say, back before I had a bunch of arrow building stuff and I walked into a shop and I was like, I want you to put this 100 grain insert in here and then... I'm going to put this 200 grain broadhead on the end. They were like, you're going to do what? And they like, get, I mean, there was, there was a lot of question marks. Like you and, have three heads, but it's fine. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, uh, and, and like we mentioned last week, like take that to, if you feel confident, take that moment as a learning opportunity or an education opportunity for everyone involved who wants to learn about it, I guess. Uh, yep. But um, yeah, but don't, don't be, if there's a little bit of pushback, don't automatically just like bail out of there. Like if, if they, if they can build an arrow, like they, there shouldn't be too much of an issue with it. So they they want your money anyway, just pay them the three or $4, or whatever it is per arrow to have it built. If you've already bought all the components and, uh, uh, or call someone like Rob or, uh, uh, Jake over at, uh, uh, danger close and, uh, have, have someone having have a someone who knows how to build arrows just go ahead and build it for you. There's there's tons of guys out there that know how to build arrows well, uh, but and and just as a commonplace uh, PSA, if you're shooting with other people and or just shooting groups by yourself, if you hear arrows smack, flex test your arrows and check both. Yes, ends. yes. Just always check the knock in for sure because that can be an easy failure that you can avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a knock splits as you're shooting that's not going to be a fun time and if your arrow just implodes it's avoidable that's the main thing is that all these catastrophic failures that people have are 
most of the time due to negligence. So you can avoid yep. that ER trip if you just flex test your arrows. Oh, either ER trip or rebuilding a bow. Yeah, or that. That's, yep. I mean, I know in the last year, both, I think I've rebuilt. Probably just as bad for some people. Oh, yeah. W- one more. <laughs> but that's, I know in, in the last year, I've pretty sure I've rebuilt three bows that uh, were essentially dry fired because of a damaged knock that split on a shot. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and you're like, yep, that knocks junk. That knocks junk. Like, I'll keep the uh, brand. I've said it before, just not publicly on the podcast. I'll keep the brand of said lighted knock a secret for now. But uh, lighted knocks, check them more often because yes. I've had some brand new out of the pack split right down the middle. And I just happened to get lucky that it. I don't know if it split like when it hit the target or if it just didn't split enough on the shot, but go down to pull my arrows and three out of a brand new pack, never been shot before split in half. So lighted knocks are, they don't have as much material sometimes. So you really need to check those a lot more often. Yep. 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 They have to sacrifice some, integrity or they do that to try and keep the weight down and uh and have have a light in there so yeah definitely definitely check your light knocks for sure because they are they are more prone to just splitting than a typical knock but if you're if you're carbon uh i mean <laughs> uh either not not finish for whatever reason if you if you completely run out of arrows not finishing the day on the course or uh you know you're $15 you might have wrapped up into a carbon arrow is a lot cheaper than your emergency room deductible. And it's a lot cheaper than completely rebuilding a bow. So yeah, uh, just think, think of it that way. <laughs> so, all right. Anything else before we wrap this guy up? Mm, I don't oh. think so. I'm sure all we right. can find 18 more rabbit holes to go in for. Yeah. If we wanted yeah. to, but we don't uh, need to. Probably I'll, could. I'll uh, say good luck uh, with the hunts. Matt, I'm assuming you're going to be sneaking out for some turkeys here. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get out. I might go tomorrow morning. Depends on if I feel like I can uh, skip out on my first morning meeting. But <laughs> I don't. I don't know how confident I am on that just yet with this uh, new project. So, uh, but yeah, I'll be out there this weekend for sure. Yeah, and Garrett, you said you're you're going to be getting out, right? Yeah, taking a rifle though, because I'm a cheater, but. I don't oh. know the spot. Well, <laughs> I don't know the spot well enough to take a bow, and it's like clear cuts. So, yeah, you got some range. Clear cuts is difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's hopefully yep. in uh, a couple days here on Saturday, I will be uh, going out and finally doing some scouting for uh, turkey, and uh, probably do some shed hunting at the same time. There you go. Yeah, well, good luck to everyone heading out, and uh, thanks to everyone for listening. If you made it through this two-hour arrow building session, I'll be sure to include everything in the show notes, so uh, it will, you'll have a condensed version there, and we'll uh, I'll try and build out some fairly extensive show notes for this guy as well. So uh, once again, thanks for listening. Uh, like, subscribe, uh, give us a good review, all that fun stuff, and stay lethal, and don't forget the olive oil. Yeah. <laughs>